Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Oh my goodness. There is no place that I would rather be right now than at Eastlake campus. God is doing something so cool here. And the first service was epic. This service, it looks like everybody brought their cousins and their cousins' cousins and their sisters' cousins and their families into honestly kind of my favorite room to preach in in Awaken. And I'll tell you why, and I don't think you guys do enough with this room or understand the significance of it, that you're in the midst of like full quinceanera central. And sadly, you don't make proper use of the light up dance floor during worship. And it kind of breaks my heart because I know Eastlake knows how to party. But I was considering during worship the significance of the quinceanera and how, how beautiful God is. That he would bring his bride into a room that is meant to showcase the bride. That a quinceanera is a, is a passage into womanhood. It's showcasing the purity of the bride, signifying that she is ready for marriage. But whereas so many churches show the preparation of the bride of Christ as being a solemn walk, the quinceanera shows that the preparation for the bride is actually a party. It's a celebration. And so I want to invite you during this service to go like full quinceanera on me, to celebrate what God's doing in this church as he prepares his bride for the celebration that will go on into eternity. Father God, I thank you that in our humanness, you created us. You created us with the opportunity to choose you and to choose not you because you created us for love. And in every opportunity to love, there's an opportunity to not love. That you created us with the opportunity to choose you in love, for love. You didn't make us into robots. You gave us choice so that you could experience love as a father from your sons and daughters. God, I pray you would do something uniquely beautiful and special in this service today, that your love would pour out on your people, that they would experience your presence, that they would experience your power, that as they kneel at your altar in celebration, that you would permanently alter their lives, that they would have a revelation 
of how much you love them as a son and as a daughter and how you long to mature them into fathers and mothers so that they could go be spiritual parents to the world that you so loved, that you came and died to redeem. God, be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You guys can be seated. I want to tell you how special this church is, if you don't already know. If you are new to Awakened Church, this is a very special, very different, very beautiful place. Awakened Church is a factory that produces sons that become fathers. It produces daughters that become mothers, that produce mothers, that produce fathers. We are a house of multiplication that God doesn't measure the quality of a leader by what he does. Leadership is called leadership because you're meant to lead. It's not called doership because you're not meant to do. But many leaders that don't have a revelation of being a beloved son will try to do to get their father's approval rather than knowing that they're called to lead to multiply after their own kind, that sons are meant to become fathers so that they can in turn produce sons. Daughters are meant to become mothers so that they can in turn produce daughters that have a revelation of the love of the father. We got to see that in the first service, and I'm going to try to do something in this service that I have never actually attempted to do before, but I really feel like I need to do in this service and do a part two to the message that I preached at Emerge and that I preached in the first service today here. So if you get the part two, I'm gonna give you a recap of part one so you don't feel like you're missing out, but I really wanna get what I think God is trying to get to his church right now. So we're going to look at the life of David, but before we do, I want to tell you something that God did at Emerge this weekend that was so special and so beautiful for me. Because my prayer when I went to Emerge this weekend is that I would have fun from start to finish, that it would be fun, that it wouldn't feel like work, that it would feel like fun, that I would get to connect with old friends, that I would get to connect with new friends, that I would get to connect with my father, that I would get to connect with spiritual sons, but in all of that, that I would experience the beauty of God's easy yoke and light burden, that it would be fun. A couple of weeks ago, God delivered me from a spirit of heaviness that I didn't even know that I was carrying, a spirit of grief that had got on me from all of the death that I've seen and how I've stepped in in moments of crisis to carry the weight that others couldn't bear. But in carrying that weight, I hadn't dealt with my own grief. And how many of you know that it doesn't matter how far you grow in leadership, that while you're on this side of eternity, God still has work to do in you, that he promises to complete every good work that he starts until the day that Christ comes back. So it's a promise that he will continually grow you from glory to glory, but that you will be growing for all of the days of your natural life on this side of eternity until he splits the sky or calls you home, that you'll be a work in progress. Let us never forget that it doesn't matter 
how much we serve. It doesn't matter how large of a group that we lead. If we're not growing, there's something wrong because that's the path that God has for us. And if you'll let him do that, he will fill you with the wonder that his children are meant to have. Not knowing what's going to come next, but expecting that it's gonna be good. And I got to see, because I get to be on the front lines of ministry. I'm in a privileged position that I get to see God move regularly. And for any of you who have ever been in a battle on the front lines in the military, that's where the action is. The ones in the back, though they have a job that they're doing, they don't get to see the victory firsthand a lot of times. But this weekend, I got to see victory after victory firsthand, and there was one that was so special. It was a man that I knew that had come to awaken recovery, but COVID had taken him out. And since he got taken out, he, an opiate drug addict, had gone and gotten hooked on fentanyl. And in the past three years, he has died and been brought back 32 times. And he came up to me at the altar in like a woman with the issue of blood kind of urgency. And it, it freaked me out a little bit, saying that he needed an encounter with God, that he died 32 times, and he didn't think he had a 33 in him, that he had 33 tattooed on his neck. He said, it's my lucky number, and I don't think that I have another one in me. I need to encounter God. And I was wiped out from preaching, full transparency. I had experienced God move through me on the stage. But when I got off the stage, I was still in that like, oh my God, literally, what just happened? That was incredible, thank you. But he met me right in that moment and was like, I need an encounter. So security came around me and him. <laughs> but God said, don't let them take him. So I, I called on my friend Rex and, and, and Rex Crane said, can we, can we do this tomorrow? And I said, I don't think we have until tomorrow. So Rex grabbed Pastor Tracy Armstrong and brought him up. Tracy started praying for him, got a word from God, described specific details from this man's birth that he had had his umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. And he, he, it wasn't just like that detail, but it was specific details about that. And the guy said, I know you hear from God and I know God moves through you because on New Year's Eve, I brought my girlfriend to see you that she had a golf ball sized tumor in her stomach that she was dying from stomach cancer and you prayed for her and she got healed. And even though my life is a mess, even though I'm barely hope." I have barely any hope left. I have hope that because of what God did through you, and he was the man that God used to minister to him in that moment. It was the most perfect setup that was ordained from heaven. You couldn't have planned this better. And then Tracy had a word of knowledge from him, cracked some things off, broke off some demonic strongholds in this guy's life because he was full on manifesting when he came up to me. And then sent him back to his camp. And as he approached his camp, his brother Devin, who has served faithfully in our internship for two years, came forward to him and started praying for his brother because in this house, Devin became a son. 
And in that moment, he made Devin like a father to his brother. And Devin delivered him from demonic oppression, casting spirits out one by one. And the next morning, I got introduced to a man that I didn't know. And then we ended up having a five-hour conversation, which you, if you know me, is not too weird, but it was... I'm not always up for it, so don't get any ideas. But every once in a while, I'm down. And yesterday morning, it was like the beautiful, most beautiful ending to the conference. But as I'm talking with this guy, I'm telling him about things that I'm believing for. And then during the time that we were talking, one by one, everything that I was believing God for happened. That guy who had experienced deliverance that I saw firsthand the night before, I didn't know that he'd gone back to his camp and that his brother had delivered him, but he walked up to me while I'm in this conversation and told me what happened with tears in his eyes, smiling from ear to ear. And he said, I got the encounter that I came here for. <laughs> Crying into my shoulder, this guy that was demonized the night before totally changed and I believe that he's going to be permanently set free. And one after the other, people are coming up to me and telling me things that had happened in their life, things that I had prayed for them for, that had come to pass, and they're just bringing me the report of what God had done in their life. And then at the very end, we had been outside for all of the morning sessions, which is something I don't suggest by the way, unless you're literally called by God to be outside. Get in the house. <laughs> But as Pastor Jurgen's passing out these command coins that I designed, I heard him call my name from stage, so I went inside. And one thing that I told this guy that I'd been believing for was a house, and we've been contending for this house. This house was under contract with another, another buyer, and we were cursing the contract and praying that that buyer would be blessed with an opportunity somewhere else. And literally, as I stepped through the door into the tent, I got a text from Teresa Mack, congratulations, you just went under contract. And I believe that God did it, not for me, not just for me, but for the man that I was talking to that had come to the conference, not as a Christian, but because the guy that had invited him told him how special that conference was to him. And he said that if this is your sacred space, I'll, I'll honor you by coming, but I know that I'm coming for you, not for me. And even being resistant, God had something for him. And I believe that God has something for you this morning. So I wanna to talk to you today about King David, and King David is one of the most famous men in history, the guy that we know more about than any other person from ancient history. We know the stories about him, four books of the Bible taken up by stories about his life, and then the book of Psalms, which reveals his innermost emotional feelings, his failures. And you know, David was a fierce warrior. If he had wanted to, with one swipe of his sword, he could have wiped out all of the bad parts of his story to position himself 
for all of the good that he did and all the good that was done through him, but David didn't do that. He one-upped us as what we do at Emerge, writing our burdens on a board. He wrote them on scrolls, handed them to the chief musician, the worship leader for all of Israel, and is like, I want these songs sung in church, not just on Sunday, but till the end of time. And I don't believe that he wanted us to connect with his darkness. I don't believe that he wanted us just to do that. I wanted, I believe that he knew that the secret in being called a man after God's own heart is that you're always chasing after God. That even in his failures, especially in his failures, in his darkest moments, David never lost his true north. The things that David did, and we'll talk about a few of them this morning, by every natural measure should have disqualified him from anything. They should have disqualified him from friendship. They should have disqualified him from sonship. They should have disqualified him from leadership. They should have disqualified him from every single area that he was called to reign in. But because he knew more than any other person in the Bible, I believe, that God's strength is made perfect in our human weakness. Paul said he boasted in his weakness. David one-upped everybody and wrote songs about the darkest parts of his weakness, how they hurt him, how they hurt the people that he was closest to, how they absolutely gutted him spiritually. But every single time, he knew that God was greater than any of that failure. Starting at the beginning of his life, David, David was an illegitimate child. Most scholars believe that he was an illegitimate child. It says in the Psalms that even in sin, in sin my mom conceived me. He says that he'd become an alien to his brothers, a stranger to his mother's children. His brothers in his father's house are made distinct from his mother's children. When the prophet Samuel came to Bethlehem to anoint David, and I wanna put this in perspective for you because the prophet Samuel was like the Pope. He wasn't like some homeless looking prophet, half naked, wandering through the desert, eating locusts and honey, he was like the Pope. He showed up in the Pope-mobile. <laughs> any, any recovering Catholics? There's more here than there are at other campuses for sure. But you know, if you, if you're, if you grew up as a Catholic man, if you know like a Catholic father, if the Pope's people called you up and said, bring all your sons. The Pope's coming to San Diego. He's going to sacrifice a heifer in front of the entire city. It's gonna be like a papal audience in the Vatican where there's hundreds of thousands of people gathered in St. Peter's Square. And I want you, just you, bring your sons. The Pope has something for you that you wouldn't, 
randomly leave one of them at home. But when Jesse came and brought his sons to the prophet Samuel, the prophet Samuel had heard from God and God said, my spirit has departed King Saul. I want you to go to the home of a man named Jesse who lives in Bethlehem and because you're going to anoint one of his sons as the king of Israel. And Samuel said, look, in my flesh, I'm kind of worried because if Saul hears of this, he'll have my head. And God said, don't worry about it. Just take a heifer, take a cow with you and tell them that you're there to perform a sacrifice. They'll buy it. In the biblical record, no sacrifice was performed, by the way, which is weird. <laughs> but Saul, Saul, Samuel says, bring, bring your sons out. And Jesse brings seven of his sons. And it's like that scene in Cinderella when the king's men are bringing the golden slip, or the glass slipper around and nobody's fit is, is, foot is fitting in the slipper and Cinderella's locked up in the, in the attic of the house. Going around with this slipper, going around with the anointing oil, but it's not flowing. And Samuel says to Jesse, do you have another son? And he's like, yeah, the runt that's out with the sheep. But I, I don't think that he's, allowed to be in your presence. Because at that time in Israel's history, a half-breed wasn't welcome in the congregation. So Jesse had his shame hidden from the view of the man of God because he had him, had him away. He didn't feel like he belonged in God's presence. But this is a prophetic picture of how God invites all of us in no matter where we're from, no matter what we've done. And God has a habit of elevating the most unexpected people because his strength is made perfect in our weakness. His perfection is made perfect in our dysfunction. And so Jesse calls for David, and I have a slide just to give you a picture. It says that David was ruddy. So Jesse's got these very Jewish-looking kids. And then Seamus over here wanders up with his light eyes and his ruddy skin. The shame of the house of Jesse. And Samuel says, that's the one. And he pours his oil on him, and God's spirit comes on David and it departs King Saul. And immediately Saul is tormented by the spirit that's on him, and I believe that it was the spirit of conviction, not a demonic spirit, because God will never send a demon to demonize his chosen. But when his chosen turns his back, God will send his messenger, the Holy Spirit, on a rescue mission, not a condemnation mission. Conviction is a gift from God. God created us with the capacity to experience guilt, not to condemn us, but to invite us back to the foot of the cross where there is more room at the foot of the cross. I don't know if you realize this. There is more room at the foot of the cross than there is opportunity for us to sin in an endless number of lifetimes. There's more room up here than there is for capacity to sin in all of mankind. The Bible says that God wants all to be saved. 
and he'll send a spirit that if you don't respond to the spirit, if you turn that spirit away, the memories that that spirit brings to mind, if you try to deal with your guilt yourself, if you try to turn it inside, the gift, the invitation that God is trying to get to you will turn into something evil called shame. Shame is not from God. Shame is from the pit of hell. Shame comes from the mouth of the accuser. God says, you've done something wrong, but son, I've already forgiven you. There's more room here than you could ever use up. The devil says, ha, ha, ha. The reason that you can't do anything about it is because there's something wrong with you. And until you get your act together, you're not welcome here. So get to it. Start performing. So Saul calls David to him because he hears that David's good at some stuff, that he's a good harpist, that he's a fighter. I think David learned to fight not just from lions and bears, but with his brothers. If you read Psalm 69, David is tormented as a child, constantly blamed for everything that goes wrong, beat up, tricked. I don't know if you, any of you have ever been bullied. I have. And it's so painful as a little child, wanting to fight, wanting to scream, wanting to attack, wanting to get back, but feeling so powerless because of how big you are. And you can make an inner vow that I'm gonna get bigger. And when I get bigger, I'm gonna get them back for what they did to me. But I'll tell you, if you're waiting to get back what was stolen from you, from the people that stole it from you, you can be waiting your entire life. You can be working so hard, trying to do that and never quite getting there. And in the process, you will become bitter and you will become useless. The gifts that God put inside of you to bring life to the world will wither and die in your bitterness. And you will be left wanting for something, trying to get humans to do the humanly impossible. I had a dad that was like that. My father was so broken in his alcoholism, in his narcissism, in his hatred for my mother that when I spent time with him as a little boy in supervised visits, he would only ever talk about his hatred for my mother. I never got an attaboy. I would bring my trophies from soccer. I would bring my medals from swimming. And all he would ever say is, Morgan, you know I love you, but I hate your mother. Let's not talk about your mother. Let's talk about you. Morgan, you know, though, you remind me of your mother. You know, you are good looking. You look like your mother. You are creative, you are smart, but uh, you know, Morgan, I am your father, but I am not your dad because your dad is who has you. Your mother, she goofed us. She never let me be your dad. She only let me be your father. And he would try to turn me against my mom because he thought that he needed to get back from her what she took from him. He didn't realize that the secret to getting free from all of that is to forgive not to try to take back, but to give first. 
if he had seen. If he had seen, okay. If he had wrestled with God, God, show me. Show me my own faults. I know I've been wrong, but show me my own faults. Show me what I've done, not what they've done. Even if I didn't do anything to them, show me how I've been like them in other ways, even in spirit, in my life. If he had done that work, and if he had gone to my mom with a spirit of forgiveness, he would have gotten back more than she had stolen because he would have gotten back his peace of mind. He would have gotten back his freedom. But he didn't. He died broken and lonely. And I grew up with a father that didn't fight for me. That when they got divorced and my stepfather came in to adopt me, he just signed away his rights. He didn't even show up. I wanted him to fight for me. I didn't want him to be my dad. But I wanted to know that I was worth fighting for. And I didn't feel that way. He just gave me away. Do you have a picture of me and my dad? Ironically, my dad looked a little bit more like Jesse. I looked a little bit more like Shamish McTavish. Because <laughs> what I didn't know is that my mom had actually had an affair a year before I was born. She thought that there was no possible way that she could be pregnant because she had what she thought was her cycle. Three weeks after the incident happened, she, she thought that she'd had her cycle and that there was no way that she was pregnant. But what happened is she had something called implantation bleeding because I'm a little bit extra and just decided to attach myself right on a blood vessel. And if that happens, you can have something that seems like a monthly cycle, but that's not what it was. So for 25 years, she lived with the guilt of her adultery, but believed that I was her husband's son, not the other man. I don't think he ever knew the truth, but there was something in him that didn't feel like I was mine, that, that, that I was his, that I was worth fighting for. And I never recognized it. I just thought, you know, I look more like my mom. That's my mom. You know, that's my daughter. I was like, well, I clearly I take after my mom, not my dad. Maybe she has stronger genes than he, he does. But when I was 25, I had a girlfriend that saw that picture and said, who's that? And I said, that's my father. And she said, you sure your mom wasn't getting a little something, something on the side? <laughs> and I thought it was so absurd that I, I, my, I, we were at my parents' house. I looked in the kitchen and said, hey, mom, you sure it wasn't the milkman or the mailman? I don't really look anything like Roland. <laughs> And she turned white as a ghost, and I'm like, hey, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm joking, I'm joking. And I didn't think anything of it. But two years later, the guilt had gotten to be so much to her that she, she came to me and she told me the truth. And there was something that was taken by my dad, and I looked for love in all the wrong places. My mom had a boyfriend who molested me. I didn't fight him off because I was afraid of him rejecting me. I was so broken and looking for love. I carried that shame for years and years and years. And actually last year at Emerge Conference, I finally saw what it was, the root of the shame that I had carried for years, that I'd escaped most of it. 
but there was still this little bit left and God was able to break that off at the altar. Years after coming to Christ, years of following him, years of being in his word, years of leading others, years of being on stages and ministering, but there was still work to be done in me and he did it last year at Emerge. And this year, I'll tell you, he gave me this revelation of being a son. And this year at conference, I knew that I was a beloved son. There is not a single part of me that doubts that I am a beloved son in this house. That I'm a beloved son of my father in heaven. And after conference last year, I got to talk to my adopted father who stepped in in the coolest friggin' way ever into my life when I was eight years old. And to any of you guys that are dating women that have children from previous marriages, I want you to take a note from my dad. Because when he started dating my mom, he started dating me. And every Tuesday night, without fail, we would have boys night out. Whether he was sick, whether he was busy, it didn't matter. Tuesday nights were sacred, they were ours. When they got married, he immediately filed for adoption. And my mom got pregnant fairly quickly, but he fought like hell to make sure that that adoption was finalized before my brother was born so I would always know that I was his firstborn son. His father. His father had been the black sheep of his family. His father was the second born son. The golden boy, the firstborn son, was shot down in the war. And his father knew that his parents wished that it had been him. The rejection that he experienced, he made a vow, a good vow, to not ever let one of his sons or anybody that he had influence over feel the rejection that he felt. So when he saw me, he never treated me like a step-grandson. He actually did more for me than he did for his own grandchildren because he know that, knew that I needed to be loved more because I was at such a deficit. Just to get up to baseline would take a lot of work. And he fought for me as well. But I was so broken and already had that performance mindset so instilled in me that love coming towards me bounced off of me like Teflon. And I really believe that that's what happened with King David as well. And as you look over the course of his life, all of the performing he did, I believe he was performing for a love that he never got healed from with his dad. Because when he was anointed, Saul called for him because of what he could do. And his dad sent him packing with gifts for Saul, laden a cow with bread and wine, tons of bread and wine and a young goat as a gift, almost a dowry. Please take this shame out of my house and keep it. And he performed for Saul. And Saul gave him the attaboys 
that he didn't get from his dad because he was doing a service for Saul. And the Bible says, and David loved Saul greatly. It doesn't take much when you're that broken. And even broken people giving you a little bit of affection can feel like drops of water to parched earth that hasn't experienced that revitalizing for so long. And David clung on to Saul like a father. You know, people teach all the time that David was so honoring of God's call on Saul's life, I could never strike God's anointed. But I believe it went a little bit deeper than that. I think it was affection for the first man that had ever shown him love. And Saul was very, very broken and eventually rejected David. But even in the battle with Goliath, when Saul's dad, when David's dad sent him to the battlefield with some cheese to feed his other sons, to go ask his other sons and bring word back to Jesse how the sons were doing in battle, David heard that Saul was offering a prize for the one that could take down Goliath, that he would give him riches and that he would give him his daughter in marriage and he would clear permanently the tax debt from that man's father's house. And I believe David thought, this is my chance to get Saul indebted to me so I never have to leave his house again. It's, it's a chance for me to finally feel like a blessing to my brothers and my dad to finally get their approval. You gotta wonder what would drive a little kid with rocks in his pocket to think that he could take down a giant unless he really had that desperation of that moment thinking this is my chance to actually prove my worth. This is the ultimate performance. This is my key to love. But when you're trying to get love that way, you're feeding a void that never seems filled and, and Saul in a way represents that because no matter what David did, he would get temporary praise from Saul and then Saul would turn on him. And if you're performing for love, you'll get temporary praise, but it'll never be enough to fill a void that only God can fill. And you look at this, David's life punctuated by moments of performance. But when he finally saw that Saul was going to kill him, he ran away and joined the enemy's camp. And it's the most inconvenient part of David's life that David went to Gath and joined himself to the king of the Philistines. He went to Goliath's birthplace and made himself a mercenary for God's enemy. And King Achish said, oh, I've got him. I've got God's warrior. If I can get him to come against my people, he's gonna do something that he can never come back from. I've got him. And he hired David to go out and decimate the cities of his people and to take their riches and bring them back to fill the Philistine treasury. And David tricked him in the most dishonorable way. He went out and he decimated cities, but not cities of the, of the Israeli tribes. He went and decimated the cities of the Amalekites and the Gibeonites, and he brought back their spoils. But in order to get away with it, 
he didn't just kill the men, he killed the women and the children to cover his tracks. David was a broken, broken man. And King Akesh rewarded him. He made David king over Ziklag. He gave a place for David's 600 warriors and their families to live. And I bet David thought, if you squint really hard, it can look like God's promise. I'm finally a king. I finally have a people. It's not exactly what I thought it would be. But maybe it'll be enough. And King Akesh said, come on now. Now that I've got you, let's go kill Saul and his sons. Come join me in battle. And David followed Akesh into battle. But the princes of the Philistines rejected David and they said, no, 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 no. Haven't you heard the song? Saul killed his thousands, David's his tens of thousands. If you bring him down in that valley, we know his heart. He'll turn against you. Don't let him come. David was going into battle against God's people, against God's anointed, against his best friend. He was marching there. And Akash sent him home. But while David and his men had been marching into battle, the Amalekites had come in and burnt Ziklag to the ground. They had taken all of the wives and all of the children. They hadn't hurt them, but they'd taken them as slaves. And they'd stolen all of the treasure that David and his men had built up. And when David's mighty men, who you probably heard of, preached as warriors, as these wonderful men of God, I'll tell you that leaders that are broken produce after their own kind. David may have thought he was leading his men to God, but you see when it really came down to it that he had only led them to himself. Because in that moment when everything had been taken, everything that David had providing them had been taken from them, their response wasn't to go to the altar and say, God, in our time of need, we need you. We need you. We need you. Their mo in that moment, they turned to stones and they said, we're going to kill David. But even though David had gone far from God, in that moment, he came back and he said, God, I need you. I need you in this moment. I need you to show me what to do. I need you to give me my next steps because I've been stepping out on my own and I've been stepping off your path. God, redirect my steps. Should I go and take down the Amalekites? And God said, go, take down the Amalekites. Utterly destroy them. Steal their treasuries and step in to your future. And David did exactly that. They went and decimated the Amalekites. They went and came back and then David became king of Judah. And from Judah, he still had battles to face. 
but then he became king of Israel, of the nation of Israel, and he united all of the tribes. He moved the capital from in the territory of the tribe of Judah into a place that had no tribe associated with it, took down the city of Jebus, the capital of the Jebusites, and moved Jerusalem there. It's where we get the model for Washington, D.C., because we know that in the heart of a nation, if you, if you align yourself to one territory, that territory will think that it's better than the others. That's why in our church, we are one church, many campuses. There's no competition among us. There's friendship among us. We have fun, but man, we're united. There's not one campus that's home to our church. Our church goes across all campuses. David had the heart of the father for being united, but he still sinned with Bathsheba. He still failed with being a father to his sons. He did the opposite of what his father did to him, that he took the son that came out of his adulterous relationship and placed him above his other sons that came from marriages. He did, he followed in his father's footsteps because he never dealt with his father wound. But I wanna tell you that you are in the father's house. That's not just a title that here we produce after our own kind. That fathers produce sons, mothers produce daughters who produce sons and daughters who become fathers and mothers that in kind do the same. If you know that there is something in your life, even if like, even if you've been fighting against God, even if you've been fighting against his people, even if you've done something so unforgivable that you believe you could never be truly welcome in God's house, whether you grew up in a house with a father, whether you grew up in a house like mine without a father or you grew up in a house where your father was present but he wasn't in your life, I want to invite you home to the ultimate father today. Can I have everybody bow their head and close their eyes right now? If you know that you are far away, that you've run away, or even if you've been sitting in God's house but feel like you're far from home, I wanna invite you into an encounter with God the Father this morning. No matter what's happened in the past, I wanna invite you into the future and tell you that your best days are ahead. If you would just respond like David did in repentance and say, I know that I've done wrong, but God, I know that you are greater than everything that I've done. And I know that there is more room at the foot of your cross to receive me. I know that you came to die so that I could be made whole and that I could live. If you're like that this morning, at the count of three, I want you to raise your hand and I wanna pray with you. Is there anybody like that in here this morning? One, two, three, raise your hand. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. God bless you in the back. While every head's bowed and every eye is still closed, I want everybody to join me in this prayer. Repeat after me, Heavenly Father, 
I thank you that no matter what I've done, no matter where I've roamed, that you've always loved me and that you gave your own life to forge a path back home. I declare today that I am your child, that you are my father. And I thank you for bringing me into a house of restoration, surrounding me with your people who will pray with me and pray for me, walking out my journey of wholeness. God, I pray that one day I would know that I have been made whole and that I would join you in making others whole as well. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite our ministers to come forward right now to come up to the altar. If there's something that you realize during the course of this message, a place where you need healing, a place where you feel like, God, I'm almost there, but I know that there's this place. I may not even know what it is consciously, but I know that there's this place where I don't feel your presence in my life. If you're like that, I want to invite you to come forward right now up to the altar and receive prayer. I know from what I've seen that the Holy Spirit knows everything and that you let him, if you let him, he will shine a light into the darkness. He'll make a path in the wilderness and he'll bring you to that abundant life that God promises. If that's like you right now, if you're like that right now, I want you to come forward. And as people are coming forward, I want us to applaud their courage to come forward. It takes courage to do what David does. But it's my belief that we have the opportunity to become even greater than David was. That though he was called by God to be a great king, that God calls us to deal with the things that he hasn't dealt with. I'm gonna leave this altar open. But if you need to go, if you need to go to kids' church to get your kids, either bring them back here and come up and receive prayer or take somebody out to lunch. And if something's come up in you during this message today, don't try to stuff it back down. Have those conversations over lunch. Break bread with your friends. God's cornered the market on salvation, but he gives us the ministry of healing. And if you want healing, I know that healing is possible because it's happened in my life and it's happened in the lives of so many others. God bless you. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. 
We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.